0: This is Small Business Conversations on PBN, brought to you by Profits Plus Solutions. Increasing your profits, plus building your business for the future. We are Profits Plus. You can find us at profitsplus.org. This is Small Business Conversations on PBN, the profitable business network. Now, the host of Small Business Conversations, principal of Profits Plus Solutions. Here is Tom Shea.
1: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Small Business Conversations with your host, Tom Shea. This is a monthly program put out by Profits Plus Solutions, our website, profitsplus.org. And our tradition for a whole lot of years has been to gather with everyone once a month, find someone who has some fascinating information that deals with small business, and ask them to donate an hour of their time to talk with us and give us information that we might not find through traditional media or perhaps there are folks that um, if you were to want to engage their services, you'd spend a whole lot of money and they are kind to give us their time, share ideas with us and and tonight is no exception. Let me tell you who our guest is and then I'm going to uh, give a little bit of information about why we chose this topic. Our guest tonight is Jerry Obarski. Uh, those of you who uh, attend a lot of trade shows and conferences and go, wait a minute, I've heard of someone named Obarski. Yeah, that's his wife, Ann. Anne, Anne Obarski. So Jerry has a quite a history dealing with loss control. And when we started seeing things at the first of the year, these articles talking about businesses having problems. We immediately called Jerry and said, would you come back? It's been a bunch of years since you've been on the program. Would you come back and let's talk about this? Because after having sent out the two announcements that we do, the one that goes out on the first of this week and the one that went out earlier today, we've had emails that come in and say, this is important. I need to hear about this because I'm getting beat up and I'm looking for ideas as to how to take and control this in in my business. So, with our program tonight, we record it somewhere later this evening. If everything goes right, it will be available on the profitsplus.org website as an MP4 file that you can either listen to it or you can download it. We also have small business conversations redistributed through 18 podcast services. They include Amazon Music, Anchor, Apple Podcast, Breaker, Castbox. Castro, Google Play, iHeartRadio, iVox, Listen Notes, Overcast, Pandora, Pocket Cast, Podbean, Radio Public, Spotify, Stitcher, Verbal, Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, as well as any smart speaker that you have there. All you have to do is tell it that you want to hear small business conversations with Tom Shay. It'll play you, as we understand it, that which is coming up next. So let me introduce first. Coming to us from South Carolina tonight, my guest, my friend, Jerry Obarsky. Good evening, Jerry.
2: Hi, Tom. How are you? Hello to everybody on the line.
1: I appreciate you being here, my friend, because, as I said, you would be the first person I would call saying, I'm reading all these stories uh, and knowing you as I, I do. You're one that um, no matter, even though you have retired once, you still listen to this stuff. You still keep track of what's going on in the world of loss prevention. So uh, your knowledge is great, but your experience is even more valuable. So what I want to share first, the article that uh, came out of... Well, let's see, the article version I've got came out uh, yesterday, and Jerry mentioned having seen some of it uh, several days earlier. The announcement was, Walmart is closing four stores in Chicago, one of the super centers and three of the smaller store formats. They announced it and said uh, all of these stores were open somewhere between 2012 and 2014. From the press release that came from Walmart, it says the Walmart Chicago fleet has been unprofitable since the first store opened there 17 years ago. Now, that's saying the fleet, understand the whole fleet of them. The four slated for closure lose tens of millions of dollars a year with annual losses nearly doubling in the last five years, according to this press release. And it tells you how their employees can take and transfer to someplace else, so there's going to be a severance package if they want to decide and go work someplace else. It says, Walmart touted its building presence in Chicago in recent years, even after the stores were damaged in 2020 during the weeks of unrest following demonstrations against police violence. It says, however, even in most tranquil of times, Walmart has generally refrained from operating in larger cities. He goes on to say, Walmart in the five boroughs of New York has zero stores there. In the height of the pandemic, Their CEO, Doug McMillan, said he would repair the damage to their stores and not just stay in Chicago, but actually expand their investment there. And from there, it has apparently not worked at all. There have been other places where they have been closing stores. Uh, it, It is a challenge. They're not the only ones that we are finding out there that are having problems because of loss. So let's start off with a A broad question to Jerry what's happening here Jerry what what is because Walmart's not the only one what's going on right now
2: well particularly in the bigger metro areas um, you have an uh, perhaps disproportionate increase in the amount of retail theft through organized retail crime And it it does appear to be centered in the 8 or 10 bigger metro areas where there's more opportunity to recruit players, so to speak, and more opportunity to pass stolen goods on to make a profit. Uh, I think your external theft, particularly in some of these Walmart stores, uh, is probably pretty significant and driven by a lot of different factors, but I think organized retail crime is uh, a growing problem with uh, significant increases uh, over the last couple of years. That's one of the factors you see in some of the big cities. You cited uh, Walmart's um, out of New York City, the boroughs and everything, and I think that may be telling a similar story to what we're now seeing in Chicago. You've also heard similar situations in the some of the West Coast cities with uh, some of the pharmacy stores and things like that. And I think uh, many of the reasons are the same.
1: Is there any particular area of small business that is getting hit worse than others?
2: Well, it sounds like if you listen to what, is happening in California, a lot of it appeared to be the, um, or not Walmarts, uh, CVSs and Walgreens appeared to be having significant problems there. Once California, as an example, upped the minimum amount for uh, larceny theft for a a major crime theft, up to just under $1,000, you had rampant uh, retail theft in some of these stores. I know that's not necessarily small business, but what happens to the chains will also happen to the smaller uh, retail environments.
1: In your observation, can a small business be a target of what's categorized as organized crime incidents uh, as much as the say, just the small individual? I mean, as, when we read about this Walmart report and the others that I've got, like Target and Lowe's and Home Depot, right. I, I see this information that talks about the organized. Will these organized crimes, will they also take on a small business?
2: I think they can. I think it depends on what type of, of uh, merchandise they have. Keep in mind, organized retail... Crime is going to go after product that is extremely convenient, easily movable, uh, very portable, uh, easily saleable. So when you start talking small, smaller jewelry stores, or uh, high-end ready-to-wear stores, uh, or that type stores that carry that type of Available, quickly turnable, and concealable merchandise, yes, I think it absolutely can affect uh, small businesses. Let
1: me ask you if we can put a little bit of a, a definition to smaller items. What about a, a piece of equipment? I'm, I'm thinking about uh, driving down the road today, and here was somebody cutting a lawn with a, a lawnmower that was... Mm, probably a four foot wide cut. Now, is that's an expensive item and it's easily put up in a in a back of a pickup truck if you've got if you come with ramps to roll it up there. Is does that fit in the categorization of of smaller items or is that no we've uh, crossed that into big stuff?
2: I think you're crossing over into big stuff and it is is that going to be as saleable through the internet? Um, or through, uh, you know, any number of other uh, channels as easily as a Rolex watch or some high-end ready-to-wear or uh, drugs. I, I would think that would not necessarily fall into that category.
1: Okay. when And the stuff that you read... And they use this word shoplifting uh, fairly easily. What about theft where we're, we're dealing with uh, smash and grabs, uh, full-size break-ins? Uh, <clears throat> I don't have a report that tells me that, but in, I know you read a whole lot of this than more, much more than I do. Uh, are these areas that are also, or types of crimes that are also seeing uplifts in uh, the amount of
2: theft? Yeah, that it, it sounds like a lot of that's coming with your high-end accessory items, where they're able to go into a store and within moments, a small group of people, gang if you want to call them that, uh, and can exit the store with, a high multiple of expensive merchandise, whether it's jewelry or handbags or electronics. It's portable, it's quick, it's easy to move, it's easy to sell online. Um, You know, that's certainly been pictured with some of the um, video we've seen in the news reports recently.
1: So let me share another story. Uh, This comes from what's called NRF, National Retail Federation. Right. Retailers, on average, saw a 26.5% increase in organized retail crime incidents across the nation in 2021 from as compared to 2020. They also found that the average shrink rate in 2021 was 1.4%. And as a percentage of total retail sales, that came up to 94.5 B with a B billion dollars in losses. Target said last year they lost $400 million in, in what they called the term inventory shrinkage. Correct. Wow, that's a lot of money
2: big numbers uh, a, lot, a, lot lot a lot of factors
1: yeah yeah a, a lot of stuff disappearing and showing up on i guess <clears throat> some on eBay and other various oh, places yeah. um but so let's let's talk about some things about this let's let's go uh well to it let me back up let me take you to go give one more bit of st- statistics And that comes out of the building material industry. Um, Said that Lowe's is now utilizing a new form of um, technology, RFID chips. Okay, so RFID chips are things like what people have in all their credit cards nowadays, but it's also those little white sticky things that show up inside a box of something or attached to something when you have purchased it. And um, something called IOT, which is Internet of Things, IOT, sensors, to activate power tools only after they're purchased. Now, I thought, now that's pretty cool. You're telling me, if I'm reading this correctly, I can go in and buy a power tool on these businesses, But if and when I leave, whatever they do to it, it will now function. But if I steal that power tool from it, then apparently that – Power tool is incapacitated it it doesn't work until it's been legitimately bought
2: wow that, uh, That's the first time I had heard that
1: yeah and that normally
2: you go into the home depots normally you to the home depots of the lows, and many of the power tools are locked up. I had not heard about that technology that's pretty that's pretty cool hmm.
1: So this second article is talking about Home Depot, and they were interviewed by the Wall Street Journal. <clears throat> and it says, one new form of anti-shoplifting technology is coming under explicit scrutiny, and that is facial recognition. It mentioned that it was permitted by New York state law, but the businesses that are using it must inform customers I guess it's as they come into the building that is being that it is being utilized and that their information is being collected. A grocery store, grocery, say this again, grocery store chain in New York called Fairway Market uses facial recognition technology that collects, retains, converts, and stores customers' biometric information. Some customers are calling this creepy, and some say they're comparing it to George Orwell's big brother. However, the grocery store says this is paying great dividends to them because they are reducing crime, and that this, as they call it, asset protection associates, these people, are, are looking at it and seeing who's coming in they are also able to right. take and with sensors in their parking lot know what vehicles are coming most frequently into the business and who's getting who's getting into it um, all by way of this technology that's coming out you know I like that what point though I can remember when it first came up I, I let's, went let's into serving. a friend's business and he was so proud of himself that he had bought this new technology and he says watch this and he picked up a, a an item in his store it was in a package and it had one of these RFID chips in it and he goes walking out the door of his store and nothing happened and he walked back in and says oh well maybe I, I, I don't need to do it this way and he went through three or four times and I said you know you know, if it gets to the point for your RFID chip to set up the sensors, that a person has to hold it high in the air, free from everything, <laughs> you're kind of defeating the purpose of the equipment. I, I don't think this is going to work. And, um, I, I left before you had it solved.
2: Well, that facial recognition, that, that's quite interesting. You're, you're really offering that as a strong deterrent to theft you think about it, if the customer knows that facial recognition is in place once he crosses the barrier and goes into the store, um, that, that's a pretty strong deterrent function right there. And you're mu- always much better off to deter theft than to end up chasing somebody, so to speak.
1: So let me ask you this question, Jerry. There is an, an old adage of retail, and you and I have both been around a lot, a lot of years, and and it said the number one deterrent for theft control was not mirrors. It wasn't putting low counters so if you could see over all of them. It wasn't having things that you could lock up. But this old adage said the best deterrent in the business is three people from the business making a point to say hello to every customer that walks in the door.
2: Well, if you recognize somebody in your brick and mortar location, you've said to them, you know I'm here. So if your recognition occurs as soon as they come in, that's important, it's also important vitally, I don't know if three is the right number, but that then somebody then follows back up with that person fairly quickly, so that they know, you haven't forgotten I'm here. Uh, Employee recognition, employee interaction in the form of good customer service has always been, a, a pillar, if you will, of shrink reduction. there's no two ways about it. My background is so not quite small business. it's department store, but we actively utilized our associates in loss prevention type approaches and committees, and I mean they knew that they were the front line of shrink reduction theft prevention not that you want an associate chasing a shoplifter or making an apprehension but if they recognize somebody in their store their department depending on how you're set up that's critical
1: i we need to take a break at this moment. It's 721. Let me tell everyone who, who we are what we're doing tonight. This is Tom Shea with Small Business Conversations, Profits Plus, profitsplus.org. It's our monthly podcast program that's been going on for a whole lot of years. We're well up in the double digits at this point. And Our guest tonight is Jerry Obarski's, whose career is in Loss Control, And we're talking about some of the articles that we have been reading with businesses like Target, Home Depot, Lowe's, uh, Walmart. These businesses are experiencing loss. And in many cases, what we're hearing is that they are retreating, closing stores and leaving markets. And the example we had tonight was... The fact of Walmart announcing that they are going to close four more locations in the Chicago area, we've got a long list of questions that we're going to get specific into small business. Just as t- soon as we take this station break,
0: don't go away. This we'll right is PBN, the Profitable Business Network from Profits Plus.
1: So our friend Jerry Obarski is is visiting with us tonight. Let's see if I've got enough questions from our, our listeners that are past looking at these statistics from big people and hearing millions and billions and dollars. We want to get down to our businesses and what do we need to pay attention to? First one, and from your experience and observations, I appreciate reports like the ones we've shared tonight, but more so, I want. To talk with someone like you, the person who's feet on the ground, been there, done that, got the experience. Um, there's an old expression that comes back to Mark Twain, to the effect of, a man who's had a cat by the tail knows a lot more than the man who read about it. So from all these writers from NRF, National Retail Federation, and people from Wall Street Journal, so much for all that stuff. Those are writers. We want to talk to Jerry Obarsky. because goes, he's the man who's had the cat by the tail. First question, Jerry, overall, do you find that there is more theft that comes from employees than what comes from customers, or when I say customers, they're not really customers. These thieves who come walking in the door, (laughs) let's let's categorize them as that. Which which group in your years of experience is the the biggest source of, of loss in a business?
2: I think the biggest source still at this point is your external shoplifter. Um, And particularly with the growth of organized retail crime, there is a tendency, and it depends which statistic you look at, but the uh, NRF would state that external is about 37% 37% and internal is about 28% with your your internal incidences being three or four times the size of your external um, instance. In other words, a, an average employee theft, certainly over a period of time, could be three to four times what your individual shoplifter might pick up on one or two occasions. So one estimate has employee theft average at about $1,500 per occurrence, where shoplifting is more in the four dollars to $500 range. Um, I'm sure that probably differs when you get into uh, non- brick-and-mortar things when you get into the financial world i'm sure employee theft could be many many more multiples of that but in general i would still rate external theft somewhat bigger than internal theft at least through the background that i have
1: i have my experience and as you mentioned from the financial aspect uh, Marilyn, my wife, having been in the financial world for years, in every institution she has ever been affiliated with, there was a hard and fast rule that each employee must take a vacation and it must have, within the time they're off, 10 consecutive business days, and they are not allowed even in the building during that time frame. And the idea is if you have someone internally who is stealing, uh, whether it's moving money around or however they may do it, there is an expectation that the stolen money is somehow going to begin to leak out in the 10-day time period. They can't hide it under something that no. long. No. Got
0: you.
2: Got you.
1: So how about this one? So I discover in my business uh, there's a shortage of inventory. You know, I, I realize we're supposed to, according to the IRS, do an annual physical inventory of everything. Uh, we're not going down that rabbit hole as to just how, what percentage of small businesses actually take and do the physical one every year. But when you discover there's a shortage in products or, in some cases, supplies that your business uses that are, could be very expensive for you, uh, is there a statistic that gives you some guidance as to how often is that loss or shortage, whatever you want to call it, is actually in paperwork s- screw-ups as compared to now it was actually stolen? Is there any guideline for those two?
2: Well, it... it and again, there are a variety of estimates out there, but one estimate would put administrative errors, for lack of a better word, when it comes to shrinkage in the um, 15 to 27% range, and I'm sure it varies widely uh, by company, Uh, whether you're on an ORD-owned retail method or you're on a cost method. uh, There will be variances there, of course, but uh, reasonably, I think it's accurate to say that administrative errors, whether it's price change, physical inventory, uh, accounting issues, invoicing issues, or whatever, to the product that you sell, the error rate is probably in about the 20% range, thereabouts. And I think it it would vary dramatically uh, by business, too. Now, supplies, that's a different story, because that's an expense item.
1: That may be something you have to more visibly notice. Now, as you mentioned this thing about these internal errors, I think also about in a business, because uh, in old days, I can remember a, a person with a business that was experiencing quite a bit of loss. And what was occurring, it's like well, they couldn't figure it out, did not know where it is, until finally someone went and looked in the store and counted that there were four checkout counters. And okay. each night what was handed in was... Three, the theft, the the thief was so bold but so smart, was simply they just installed an extra cash register. And when you look at where everything was computerized, yeah, you could do that. You could get by with that stunt. And that's how their thief was caught as to who was pocketing all this money. I mean, I hate it from the standpoint of the business, but I go, boy, that was pretty sharp thinking. But From your comment, Jerry, one of the things I would throw in is that in your business with your having a point of sale, who has the passcodes to get into the backside of your computer to change quantity on hand? I can steal five of an item, and if I've got the passcode and I can get into the inventory section of your point of sale, I just go in and change the inventory on hand to five less, and... There's still a theft there, but you're not going to find it. Oh
2: yeah, oh yeah, very difficult to find, very difficult to find.
1: No,
2: I mean your your, so your we, paperwork yes, or your paperwork or administrative errors can really cover just a, a, a whole plethora of of type of situations, um, and but but it, if you look at it as a more preventable type of loss if you have the right players involved and if you have management interplay whether it's your operations or your finance or your logistics people or and your loss prevention people that's loss that that you have a better chance of controlling as opposed to Somebody running in your front door, grabbing something, and running out. You know what I'm saying? Yes. yes.
1: We're at the, you uh, know, we're one minute past the bomb of the hour. We're at the point of night where uh, people like me take a moment to clear the throat, and Jerry gets a moment to have a uh, um, drink of water or something to refresh himself. Uh, our break is uh, 88 seconds long because we found a neat little piano piece called eighty eight. So let us play this. Don't go away. Our guest tonight, Jerry Obarsky, experienced long-term professional dealing with loss control in businesses. This is Tom Shea, Small Business Conversations from Profits Plus. Be right back. Mm-hmm. Visiting tonight with Jerry Obarski, small business conversations with Tom Shea. Jerry, when we finished up while well ago, one of the items we were talking about was loss of items other than um, the products that we sell. <clears throat> is there anything from again your years of experience of being in this, of how things such as supplies and equipment and a business is monitored to make sure you're not losing a whole lot of money by it's people taking stuff that you don't sell, but are still an expense to your business.
2: Well, I can't speak to yeah, supplies. In like
1: case of a hardware store,
2: yes, sir. Oh yeah. Um, my experience would have been more with uh, the type of equipment that we would have used in a in a department store, and there were just simple sign-in, sign-out logs with serial numbers on that sort of thing. Uh, you bring up a good point with a hardware store. You just got all kinds of equipment issues there. Um, you know, I don't know that I have a particular answer for that.
1: It could be expensive. If you are the person who fixes chainsaws and string trimmers, there could be oh, a lot yeah. of tools walking out the back door. Okay. Absolutely. Second question. First, first-hand experience drives me crazy. Um, went into a, a business recently, made a purchase. I don't remember if I used cash or a debit card, but I mean, when I say purchase. Uh, it, it couldn't have been more than 7 or $8. And got home, and the product had a defect. Brought it back to the store. And as I have seen with this particular store, and I see other ones that do the same thing, they would not allow anybody except the owner or the manager to handle any type of return or refund. Even in the situation that here I am under $10, it's the same day I bring you the product back, I have my receipt in my hand, and I'm looking at it from the perspective of, I think you're trying to protect your business from theft, but my gosh, is this not overkill and expensive as to how much is it costing you because to handle this little tiny return, you've got a cashier who is tied up and you've got the manager of your store who is now also tied up. Guidelines. I'm I'm sure there are plenty of people who listen to our program who go, you know, I've got that same problem. I, I don't know how to balance it so that I, I, I could consider the cost of time we take to look at this as compared to something being stolen.
2: Well, it's also, it's also a very strong customer service issue. If your customer has to wait there for a manager to come to your POS terminal, I mean, that's, that's time there. I've experienced both scenarios. Manager approves all or associate approves all, I would think there are certain options, particularly with receipted returns or straight exchanges that your experienced associates and maybe there's a level of experience at the associate level that would give them the authority to handle um, some of the returns, returns without receipt or non-receipted returns or cash refunds may still need to be in the realm of the manager. And when you get to the big box stores, the Lowe's or the the, uh, Home Depot's as an example, they've got dedicated uh, return areas where you've got people with the expertise to be able to handle it. So um, manager-only approval of return and refunds certainly can be a negative impact on customer service, and I would question if it is a strong loss prevention tool that they would have to to accomplish all returns. I think there should be some... Let me tell you one, though, that did occur... Go ahead. I would say that Um, If you allow an experienced full-time associate at least some limited approval authority as a recognition of their expertise, I mean, to me, that's a strong selling point. And also, you give them an ability to return that return into a sale. Because the last thing you want to do is just take the return back. The ideal scenario is to convert that return into a sale by meeting the customer's needs when the manager comes by i mean you already got a customer who's had to wait so i think that's probably a detriment
1: so let me throw in one this is from our business and this isn't to the this person's decision because i still don't like the like the experience i had because you are exactly right it took so long and i'm going really It's not like I'm saying, you know me, and it wasn't the case. It's like, here's the receipt. Here's the product. Okay, it's defective. I want another one of the same product. Okay, we'll check it before I take it out the door this time. And, gee, you ate up my time. But in our business, and I cannot remember what tipped us off, but somehow or another we found that we had an employee who, with their returns, this employee had almost every time – had been the salesperson. Oh, okay. Okay, Because all all receipts are noted as to who was the person that went went through it. And we look and go, okay, what do we think is happening here? And it was like, we think she's not giving the receipts to people. And she's pocketing the receipt and coming back later and then writing a refund for the product. Sure. And we go, hmm, I think this is right. And the way we solved it was – We invited into the store an off-duty police officer, out of uniform, together picked an item and said, this is what we want you to buy, is this particular item. There is a one and only one of it on the shelf. So none else is in the building, and we want you to buy it, and don't worry about the fact that... You you forgot the receipt. However you want to handle it, but just don't walk out the door with the receipt. And sat in the back. Officer walked in, picked his item, made the purchase, walked out the door, and we're sitting in the back in the inventory section of the point-of-sale system, and we watched the thing go from 1 to 0, and about 10 minutes later, it goes from zero to one. Yep. We call the police officer. He comes walking in the door. He's got the item in his hand, and you know we've caught a criminal. Yep. Um, you know, it, there's a there's a challenge. Like there there's a balance, as you say. there has got to be something to balance dollar wise or somehow value as to what you're doing, or somehow that you look at how someone can take and outsmart you with things and dumb, falsify these returns and are and pocketing sure. the cash. Oddly enough, like I, said, I remember the situation. I can't remember who the cashier was, but I remember it happening.
2: Well, that's where your exception reporting uh, and an analytical approach by your loss prevention people have to come into play. And I think as as we become more of a digital society, whether it's through online sales or the omni-channel type sales with social media and stuff like that, your your loss prevention team has got to be more uh, analytical to help prevent some of these crimes. Because if you don't solve the non-theft, non-physical theft theft crimes, you're going to end up with not knowing exactly where to place how to utilize your physical deterrence in other words your your paper type thefts your paper type thefts are going to distort where you need to put your resources
1: I'll share a story of a friend's business Um, started out as nothing expanded to the point where he had multiple stores of which from the The drive from one to the other was probably two-and-three-quarter hours. And along that two-and-three-quarter hour drive, he had several locations. I think it was four or five total. And I've used this in in speaking to audiences before about learning to control theft and, and things that you need to do as the person who owns the business. And I said, my friend had this business. And he made a point to visit each of his businesses every week. And I said, in this one business, that was the downfall of all of his whole place. He he went bankrupt. The whole thing has gone. I said, in this one location, he had a a partner. And the downside is he thought he had an employee, but he had a partner he didn't know about. And Monday through Thursday and Saturday – the partner ran his own little private enterprise. But on Fridays, he ran my friend's business. And so I asked the question, what, what is it that you think is different on Fridays? And usually someone guesses it. Well, then the owner of the store must have been there on Friday. And I go, that's exactly it. Right. The thief knew when the owner would be there. And I said, so let me ask all of you questions. And I see heads shaking and people get it. And I said, so do you come to work about the same time every day? Uh, do you drive the same vehicle? Do you park about in the same place? Do you go eat lunch about the same time? Are you a member of uh, the Rotary Club and they meet on Tuesdays at lunch and you always go to that? And I said, the that is such that salespeople who call on your small business know what days you're there and what times you're not. They, they keep little notes so they know when they can catch you in your business to talk to you about selling you products and services. And the thief that you have internally knows the same thing. So they know how to do things and how not to do things. And I said the worst example ever occurred in Sarasota, Florida. I remember reading the article and it was, there was a person who owned a business and, and this goes back to the early 1970s when it occurred, I said this person made a point to go eat lunch about 2.30 every day. And she went out of the business somewhere to eat lunch, and when she walked out at 2.30 to her car, which was always in the same place, uh, she always carried a bag with her. And now you may think, okay, female, it's a purse. But considering the time of day and how business was at that point, what's in the bag? Well, the answer is it's the receipts from the day before. She's going to go and go through the drive through at the bank, drop off the deposits, and then she's going to go eat. Except as the story was told in the newspaper, she was met in the parking lot by a, I believe they described it as a former disgruntled employee who approached her with a gun and said, give me the bag. <clears throat> she refused. They put the gun in her face and said give me the bag. She refused and it was one shot to the head. She's dead. They found the person with the bag sitting a couple miles away in the parking lot of another shopping center going through the bag and looking at the money. And so I asked the question, well, how many stupid people do we have here? And the answer is we have two. Although one of the two people who's stupid is now dead, and the other one was stupid enough to sit there and go down the street and count the money. I, again, I ask people in the audience, what do you do? You know, are, are you as the owner of business, what are you doing that's setting up a potential employee to become a thief? Uh, if you were a clothing store and you offered alterations, do you track the alteration tickets? A person could come in and want to pick up their alterations, and the employee says, "Oh, that's twenty dollars," and just put the twenty dollars in their pocket. You got no—you know—they've <laughs> destroyed both copies or both ends of the repair of uh, the alteration ticket, and they walk out with the twenty dollars. You have no tracking of it. Uh, same thing would be for a jewelry store. I brought jewelry in to be serviced. I'm having it repaired and that can be a nice expensive bill, and lo and behold, you just let the customer hand your employee cash, and they toss the tickets. So with war stories like that, that I've seen and experienced, can you offer some, here's things as an owner of a business, you need to be watching for, you need to be planning for, and thinking about changing how you do things in your business?
2: I mean from an internal theft standpoint?
1: Well, well, well. well the, one of them was external theft. From the standpoint, of it was it was a it was owner walking okay. out the door with with money, and, and that was bad security. And the other ones were, yeah, you know, they were both internal thefts. People who were taking and not ringing it, just find a way to to pocket the money.
2: Well, let's go to internal theft. Um, obviously, when you hire somebody. You've got to have some degree of of pre-employment or background check references, and I know that varies by state and locale, but I would certainly think that's at a minimum before you bring somebody on board, particularly in a management position. And then you've got to have a pretty strong statement of what your company policy is on theft, and consequences and what would happen and frankly you probably need to say these are the things that we audit for these are the things that we check not in a in a threatening way but just up front so that everybody knows the lay of the land so to speak um
1: Tell me, let's go this way. We talked earlier in the pro- program about we catch a thief, internal or external, and there was a part that you and I had discussing about what to do with it. Let's take, if you would, spend a few minutes and you know, discuss what you had said earlier about consequences.
2: Right. Well, with, with an internal theft issue, it's a little more difficult I think from a prosecution standpoint, at least at the brick and mortar retail level, I guess when you get into finance and things like that, or a bank, it's uh, probably much more of a a prosecuted case. But frequently with uh, brick and mortar and an employee creating fraud, or in the case of the one uh, stealing cash, or uh, fraudulent returns, frequently that ends up being just a dismissal as opposed to um, uh, prosecuting for a theft or some sort of a uh, restitution type program. Although we did use restitution programs for internal theft uh, situations too. Um, it, It just gets a little more difficult when you're trying to prov- trying to prove fraud type situations because it can be claimed to be uh, a mistake. But I think if you're upfront with your employees about what the discipline would be, I think you've, you've set a standard form. I think you probably need to have some sort of employee reporting of internal theft, whether it's anonymous, phone calls or emails or tips or whatever, because although employee theft is a significant issue, there's a lot of employees out there that are pretty honest employees and who want to see the business uh, do well. And I think it's also important when you get into internal theft issues and external theft issues to share your, your shrink results with your employees. Uh, tell them what the shrink was off of your inventory. It impacts the profitability of the stores. Um, we were We made massive use of shortage committee with associate participation at store level. We tell them what the dollar and percent shortage for their location was, and you probably have to have particularly with internal theft, you definitely have to have a very active exception reporting um on employee transactions and refunds uh and i think that's that's an area where security pure security people probably need to become more analytical because you're not talking about chasing somebody down the street in that case does that make sense no
1: because that that can get dangerous (laughs) yes it does
2: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: The idea of chasing someone down the street can get dangerous and and you can get hurt. And uh, I can replace products, but I can't replace
2: you. Correct. Correct. From an external I've got one standpoint. One last question to
1: ask. Yes, sir?
2: Well, from an external st- standpoint, at least in a department store environment, we made extensive use of CCTV. We were to the point where we wanted it to be obvious to serve as a theft deterrent. Now, is that gonna stop your your professional shoplifter or an organized retail group? No, it probably won't, but it does send a signal to your, if you will, first-time shoplifter. So we, we were very heavily into theft preventive measures. Okay, that's it.
1: Easier to take care of that than to take and uh, have the losses. Cheap, cheaper, I would say, to have that than to have the, the big losses. Absolutely. Next month, Small Business Conversations, is going to have a guest from a company called Jay Schmidt. They are an advertising, marketing, film uh, firm, and we read their material religiously. And our guest is going to be a gentleman by the name of Devin Clements, who wrote a piece that intrigued us, dealing with the idea that more than a tagline, a motto, or some effect, or a voice in our advertising, asking the question as to so, what is the message system that you're designing for your business to convey? As we were discussing it one point, I said, you know, I seem to find that the businesses that spend the most effort saying, we give great customer service are doing it because they don't give great customer service. They're just trying to sit there and get a message and go, if I say it long enough, someone's going to believe that I give great customer service, even though I'm doing nothing to educate my staff and to make a better staff. My last question of the night goes to our friend Jerry Obarski. And I'm going to use the example of Chewy. Chewy. So Chewy Foods, which is owned by uh, PetSmart out of Arizona, if I remember correctly. So Chewy has this service that you can take and have your cat food, your dog food, your cat litter, and all those other things shipped to you on an automatic basis. And there was an example that happened to be from a a teacher here in the town that I live in. That got all over the place because of her Facebook posting. She marked in her Facebook post one day about how she loved them and she wouldn't do business with anybody but them. And I'm thinking, no, we've got some local pet stores in our area here. Why not them? Her story was that her cat had died and she called Chewy to take and cancel the next uh, automatic oh. shipment. Well, the feel-good side was Chewy says, oh, why are we doing this? And so the cat died. And she gets a flower arrangement, and she gets a, yeah, a, yeah. a sympathy card from the person who fielded the car. Okay, you know, great great idea. It's been all over the place. But there's another side to the story that doesn't get talked about, and that is she asked, can I return what I've bought? I've got boxes of cat litter. I've got bags of cat food. I've got these things I haven't opened. Can I take and return them and get a refund? Chewy's policy is, and they're not the only ones who do this. There's a lot of places like Amazon that are doing this thing. No, don't return it to us. We'll give you a refund, but don't return us the product. Now, some businesses in the in the United States have gone so extreme to the point it's like uh, they just give you the refund. They don't want to go through the hassle of the item coming back to them. It's the freight and bob, just no, just get rid of it. Well, in the case of chewy, a dishonest person could take those products, walk them across the road to the local pet store and go, "Oh, I'm sorry, I've lost my receipt. Can I get uh, my cat died. Can I get a refund for this, or can I? You know, maybe they got a now they got a dog and I want to trade it for dog food or something like that. Our last question to you of the night, Jerry, is that situation. What can a small business do to protect themselves?
2: Ooh, that, that's a tough one. I, I, I think I saw the same story, and I think Chewy suggested. She donated to an animal shelter, but yes. um, could she or could a customer turn around and if it's product that's also sold in a brick and mortar, return it to a retail store? Yeah, I guess that could happen. I, I don't know how you So would as we that. see...
1: The, these extra items, you
2: know, is
1: there any thoughts as to what does a business do to with regard to uh, other than just our return policy is no no receipt, no return is is right. there no, I mean sometimes that's the only answering yes it's like no that's that's our rule, no receipt, no return
2: yes, you're right now uh, keep in mind if they're returning a box of dog food and it's in good shape. And they sell that same dog food. They're taking product in, too. Yeah, follow what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, they're not really losing other than time and effort. They're they're handing someone ten dollars cash, and they get product they're going to sell for ten dollars.
2: Correct. Correct. Now, I mean, when you get into some of those items that are single-use type items, food or cosmetics or something, and the store says, don't bother sending it back, we'll give you a refund. Uh, and Amazon, like you say, Amazon and Walmart are big on some of, some of that stuff. I mean, it's really touted as a major customer service feature. Um, and I would think, you know, there there is some exposure on the other end to people who carry the same product uh, from a fraudulent return basis. I, I could see where that could happen.
1: Um, well, Jerry, we have spent an hour. It seems like just a few minutes, but we've spent an hour, and it's time to let all these good folks who are listening, whether they're listening to us live or listening to us as a rebroadcast, to let them go do whatever else in life they need to do. I want to say thank you, Jerry O'Barsky, for contributing your hour tonight to come and share with us from your expertise. And our intent is that in sharing Jerry with you, you're getting some ideas of things you need to pay attention to and other experiences. And in some cases, we've got solutions and other ones. No, we just had to leave you with a question and a thought as to, am I having this problem and what do I need to do about it? Definitely a lot of great insight. Jerry, uh, let's I we'll first say thank you for the contribution of the hour tonight. It's much appreciated. My pleasure. And, and also, since many of them know, Ann, uh, from all of us here on the program, you, you tell Ann Obarsky we said hello.
2: I will certainly do so.
1: Okay. Everyone, next month, Devin Clements joins us. Thanks, everybody, for being with you. We appreciate
0: it has been our pleasure to share fresh ideas and trends from premier small business owners, coaches, and resources. Join Tom Shea and guests next month right here on Small Business Conversations from Profits Plus Solutions. This is PBN, the Profitable Business Network. Visit our website to learn more about us at profitsplus.org. There you will find our catalog of small business conversations, articles and advisories, news, meeting planners, calculators, and resources. Also, we invite you to connect with Profits Plus Solutions on our various social media channels. Please like or connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, SlideShare, Twitter, and YouTube. We have links to all our social media channels on our homepage at profitsplus.org. Thank you for joining us.